0: Happy Friday, everyone. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. Today we have the awesome Ray on with us. And I've been following Ray for a long time and finally had the opportunity, reached out to him and was happy to have him on. Um, He has a really cool story to tell, but before I jump it over to him, um, if you're following us live on LinkedIn, um, don't forget to follow Ray, follow myself, um, reach out a connection. If you love this story, um, if you're following us on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe, hit that notification button. And if you're listening to us after the fact on your favorite podcast channel, don't forget to subscribe and share with everyone. That's how we can get more folks into the community and loving cybersecurity. Cause that's what this whole podcast is about. Um, so Ray, Tell us about your background, and um, let, let's get started there.
1: No, well, thank you so much for the warm intro. That's, that's too kind of you, and I appreciate it. Uh, it's it's great to be here, and uh, it's, it's been a long journey. It's not something that happened overnight. It's something that has kind of been growing for some time, and so I, I spent a lot of time as a software developer. Uh, that was my focus. That's, that's where my world was, and primarily I... In, it was interesting because I really started the transition to cybersecurity in 2017. Prior to that, I had spent uh, quite a bit of time uh, at Microsoft just doing developer relations, uh, focusing on the web developer community, trying to understand the the things that made them tick and how I can help them out. And then uh, around 2017, I wanted to kind of explore some other options in terms of the industry and what I could talk about, and I noticed that security was something that a lot of developers weren't really talking about, and so I started digging into it. And the more I dug into it, uh, the more fascinated I became with the concept of securing code and securing software. And then WannaCry hit, and when WannaCry hit, that was a big deal. I mean, you know, you you looked at some of the issues that, uh, that WannaCry caused, um, you know, the issues in the UK with the national healthcare system, and Uh, hospitals being closed and patients being turned away. And I said, this is a good opportunity for me to start looking into this and seeing how I can help. And so that's what I did. I started exploring it, I I dug deeper. And uh, I remember that I reached out to um, a corporate vice president at Microsoft, Ann Johnson. and We started talking and I I pitched her an idea. and said, look, I think there's a need for a person who can go out to the community and have conversations and understand what's going on and help to build bridges. And she she liked the idea. So she funded me and she funded me to, to go out to conferences and get training and, and kind of ramp up in the industry. And so I was very fortunate and very grateful for that. And I remember when I went to my first DEF CON, I, I was sold, that was it. I I was like, I love the community. I love the vibe. I loved how everybody was excited about protecting things and uh, all the all the nuances, it was kind of something new for me. Uh, Having spent so much time doing one thing, now I'm in a whole new world and it's like, I'm reinvigorated, I felt like, when I first started programming. And so I just took off with it. And I will say that once I popped my first shell, that was it, I was done.
0: Let's take a break and um, say hello to some of the the listeners that we have. Um, Hey, Ali, hey, Joshua. Hey, Simon. Hey, Murray. Um, Simon's over in the UK. Hey, Katrina. Hey, Rudolph from Amsterdam. Uh, thanks all for listening. So, so, Ray, you mentioned that you're working developer relations um, in a big company like Microsoft. Um, right. I'm guessing, like, working outside of the group that you're in and going to another group, like, is, is, were there challenges in in, in doing that, or w- was that a fairly smooth transition for you? It, no, it, it definitely
1: wasn't smooth. And so I, I think the the big thing is that when you don't have experience, um, you you know a lot of people kind of won't give you uh, won't give you the opportunities. And again, I, I I know how fortunate I am. I've spoken to so many people in the community that wish would love to be a security practitioner and just. They've gone through training and they've invested time and they haven't had that that opportunity that person who believes in them and says i'm going to give you that shot and so it definitely was that and it was hard to kind of you know balance out this this desire for something new and the desire to go down this path while still have maintaining a job because uh you you have i had work demands and i had things that had to get accomplished but i I knew where my heart was and my heart was you know, someplace else and I had to, I, and I wanted to explore. So I, it was a lot of juggling of time. Uh, thankfully I have a very understanding family and so they afforded me that, that time as well. And so between work and getting work done and then spending evenings trying to learn new, something brand new was, it was a challenge. It was hard. It was a, a, a it was time consuming. And then the other part was just trying to identify how do I break into this industry? It's, Without and also without having to start from scratch in terms of my career, and that's the other part of it. I think one of the biggest challenges that most people are going to find if they decide that they want to transition in security, um, especially if they have a very long career, is that when you want to switch careers, you're you're going to have to make a very hard choice. Uh, you're going to have to say, all right, I need to gain that experience, so I'm going to have to start from the ground, from the bottom, and go up. And that typically means you're going to have to uh, kind of check your ego at the door, but also from a compensation perspective, that that could be impacted. You might have to downlevel yourself and say, all right, I may have been a top dog here, but now I'm going to have to come down and everything has to be adjusted with it from your position, your status to your compensation and all those things matter. And when you have a family, it's really hard to do that. Um, it's It can be a big challenge.
0: Let's talk about that. Like, um, what were some of the things that you did from developer relations to start to increase your knowledge in cybersecurity before you got that first first role in um cybersecurity relations under Ann Johnson?
1: Sure. No, that's a great uh it's a great question. And so uh, the first thing I did was I needed to understand, is this a community I even want to be a part of? And I think that's one of the reasons I really wanted to go to DEF CON, I wanted to understand it. And I wanted to—I just wanted to see how people were. I i had a really good understanding of the web developer community, I had lived that for so long, so I knew how the community worked, I knew the ebbs and flows, and uh, security is a whole different world. I, I have to tell you that when I was prepping for DEF CON, I was really scared to go. It really was. I pictured all these, you know, the, what is it, the hordes at the gate banging down and everybody talking about, oh, you got to wear, you have to have a burner phone, you have to have a burner laptop, and you have to wear, you know, RFID, this. And so it freaked me out. I was very concerned about getting compromised and people just being aggressive and things like that. And when I got there, it was very different. And I think that's one of the reasons that it sold me. I felt like this genuine connection with folks and they had a genuine interest in just bringing new people in. And of course, you're always gonna have folks that are kind of the gatekeepers. Those are the ones that you know they, they wanna be the blockers to anything, but I'm gonna say the majority of people I met in cybersecurity so far have been great. They've been supportive. Uh, they wanted to help me out. Uh, that was one of the things that sold me. And so when, as, as I got convinced that this is where I wanted to go, then I started exploring what I wanted to do and of course, in cybersecurity, Chris, you know how it is. It's such a vast area. I mean, you know, you you can say everybody talks about, oh, yeah, let's go hack. Well, okay, but what does that actually mean? Do you want to be a pen tester? Are you? Do you want to be an incident responder? Do you want to do digital forensics? Do you, is OSINT your thing? Is it, you know, maybe you want to work in a sock Maybe you want to be a threat analyst? There's so many components of it. And the one thing that I gravitated to right from the right from the beginning and I, I have to say I think it was my I have a little little different color hat in me back here so you know I have my white hat but I think my there's a different color hat back here that I must have switched because I, I instantly gravitated to offensive security I the whole concept of pen testing and identifying uh air you know uh, initial vectors of compromise and helping customers find that, that that just fascinated me. And so I continued to explore down that path and took my first course with uh, Matthew Hickey of Hacker House. And that's where I got my first shelf and sat there in disbelief of how easy it looked. And now clearly it's, you know, here's the thing. Now that I've been doing this for a while, I know it's not that easy, but the fact that you could do it and it was in a VM, but I'm sitting there saying, Oh my God, I have complete total access and control of this machine sitting here. From my machine, and that floored me. And um, and then you start digging deeper, and you realize there's so many opportunities to learn new things. And uh, I just continued down that path. And Don Denzel, uh, of, of you know of what used to be called eLearn Security, now it's I and E. He helped me down the path as well. He helped me get more experience, and uh, I got introduced to the eLearn Security curriculum. That was a big help for me because it helped give me it gave me the foundations of Security. It helped me understand some of the inner workings and some of the things that uh, were important to to learn as an offensive security practitioner. But the biggest thing for me has really been just getting hands on. There's there's something to be said for practicing, and it's interesting. You know, what do they say? If you don't use it, you lose it. And in offensive security or in security in general, I think if you don't use it, you lose it. And there there were times when I would get really deep into it and then work would call and it pull me away and I couldn't, I couldn't do my hacking or my practicing. And I would come back and I'm like, Oh, where do I start? And I don't care what anybody says, you know, pen testing and offensive security is not like you just ride a bike and go forward. Yeah, you'll, you'll pick it up again, but it takes a while to get your mind back into it and, uh, and start, start moving in the right direction. I think the thing that struck me the most is that you really do have to learn how to code. That's the bottom line. Like right now, I'm learning C-sharp. I, I've taken it upon myself to learn C-sharp because from a tradecraft perspective, so many people use C-sharp. And from my job perspective at code, that's one of the things that's critical. Our, a lot of our clients use C-sharp, so I want to help understand how that code works so that when I talk to our clients, I can help protect them. And so it's a dual benefit. And But bottom line is, if you don't know how to code in, in security, it makes things way harder for you. It makes it way harder for you to... Build new tools to understand how the, how systems work and how they can tie into your overall strategy for securing stuff. So, um, and I know um, I've been talking. I know that was a long-winded thing, but it's just there's so many things I could tell you a whole lot more. But I know we only have 30 minutes, so I'll give it back to you.
0: Oh, oh I'm sure. Um, one of the things that you mentioned uh, was a misconception that individuals have coming into cybersecurity, um, and DEF CON was one of them, what was potentially another major misconception that you think those outside of cybersecurity have of cybersecurity that um, was shattered when when you look behind the glass?
1: Yeah, I, I think that the there's a very big disconnect between what security professionals think developers do and what developers think security professionals do. And that's one of the biggest challenges. And so I've been on the, I've been on both sides now. So I've been very fortunate. And so, you know, developers, it, developers always feel like security is, is, uh, it, it's, it's something that's important, but it's it, in many cases, is not part of their core responsibility. And, and I understand it because if you look at developers, they're builders, their job is to build these really unique experiences and get something up and going and they have a lot of pressure. And security professionals view developers as kind of like these, I'm gonna call these prima donna rock stars. And, and I've had these conversations, so I'm talking from my experiences. Now I'm, I'm generalizing clearly, but I've spoken to plenty of security professionals who just view developers as like, yeah, they just do their thing. They just code and they don't care about security. And, and I think there's some misconceptions between the two. I, I think there's a, lot, a growing group of developers that really care about security. They they realize, especially in light of things like Solar Winds and Kaseya and Apache Struts with you know uh, uh, with Equifax and things like that, that software security matters. And I, I, one of the things I would stress to security professionals is that I think there has to be a greater understanding of how the two can work together because ultimately you you both both groups need to need to work in tandem to secure things and understand the priorities of both groups. And that's one of the challenges that, that a lot of companies face, these silos of groups, these silos of different priorities and people not talking to each other and working in tandem to move together in the, in, in the right direction. So if I was, that's, those are the
0: misconceptions I see right now. Okay. Uh, one of the questions from one, one of the audience members, John, he says, what a great resource for us all. I enjoyed Ray's inputs on knowing your strengths and your choice of careers. Um, one of his questions was, "What would you recommend to someone starting to learn to code in the in the middle of their career?" That's a good question,
1: and it just depends on what you're trying to do. So if you're if you're brand new to security and you're trying to make a transition, start learning to code now. I, I would say almost learn it before you even try to learn pen testing or learn something else. And the reason is because. Uh, there's so many cases where you you look at job opportunities and they say you have to be very proficient in X programming language. It might be Python, PowerShell, Go, C Sharp, C, C++. So I would say try to get ahead of the curve on that and learn as quickly as possible because that's going to make you more successful as you dig deeper into your security field. But I think it also matters which part of the security industry you're heading to so, for example, if you said I want to be a pen tester or I want to be a red teamer, I would definitely say start learning the code right now. Just do it. If you want to work in application security, start learning the code right now. You have to. If you're in things like digital forensics or threat, uh, you know, threat uh, threat analyst, uh, I can't say it. on the tongue-tied. If you want to be a threat analyst or a threat do threat intelligence, I don't have enough experience in them in those fields to tell you is coding really relevant. I'm assuming it might be, but I think it just depends on the, the field you're heading to. And then once you've identified the field you're heading to, the area of security that you want to jump into, that's where you're going to decide how. I'm, what language should I learn. I'm going to give you an example. If you told me I want to be a threat analyst or I want to work in threat intelligence, you're probably going to want to learn Python along with something like Pandas, which is a, an, um, a machine learning um uh, machine learning formats that you can use to, um, to help manipulate the data sets that you're working with. So Python would be really important for that. If you're going to do offensive security, well, if you're gonna do pen testing or red teaming, the majority of, of these folks that I'm talking to of late are either doing Python, C Sharp, or C++. And more and more, you're gonna see things like Go and even NIM, which I hadn't heard about NIM until recently, <laughs> so uh, you know it just depends on which area
0: of um,
1: which area you're gonna approach
0: okay, perfect. now let's think about your 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 transition. so you left Microsoft um you're looking for a, a more security focused role. like what was that like for you d- during that transition? like how did you approach it what what struggles did you or didn't you have? as you looked for that more formal role?
1: Yeah, so one of the challenges that I had was that because I didn't have that formal, long security history, uh, getting an opportunity within Microsoft and the security teams was really challenging. Obviously, Microsoft wants to build world-class security teams. They want people with good experience, and I understand that the scale that they're working at, they require some really talented people. So. It, when I would approach some of these recs that were open within Microsoft, you could see that I I just wasn't a fit. But I did I definitely had really good developer skills and developer pedigree. And thankfully I I had met Chris Weissople. Uh he goes by Well Pom. He's one of the OG hackers. Most people would know him from uh you know uh the C D C days and stuff like that. And so I think that was that was a great relationship to build. And when I when I started speaking to him, they had a need for somebody to Come in, in a developer relations role. They wanted to have somebody who can bridge the conversations between the developer community, uh, and the security community, but also be able to help developers better understand how security fits in their development workflow. I had that understanding. I understand. I, that was what I had been doing for, since, you know, 2017, developing those skills and better understanding how security works within the developer landscape. So I was very fortunate that Vericode uh, had an opportunity at that time. And it allowed me to transition over. It was hard to leave Microsoft because I had been at Microsoft for ten years. It wasn't like this was. I, I, it wasn't like I, I was leaving Microsoft because Microsoft was a bad company. It was at that moment Microsoft couldn't afford me what I wanted, which was the ability to be more technically hands-on with uh, with security and be able to help people with security. I was doing kind of a business development role uh, in security at Microsoft, and that really wasn't what I wanted to do. And so uh, Chris and the team at BearCode afforded me a great opportunity,
0: and that's where I transitioned over. Nice, nice. Um, so it sounds like networking was one of the, the, the big things that helped you with that, that uh, new role, and that also being able to tell your story in a new light and highlighting your transferable skills for that role like really helped you out in that new position, right?
1: Absolutely. One of the things that I've been an advocate of
0: for a very long time is networking.
1: It's hard. It's not easy for a lot of people to do this because when you're networking, that means that you have to be proactive in reaching out to people and getting to know people. One of my favorite sayings, and I say this to everybody, is that I I like to shake hands and kiss babies. I like to go out there and and meet people and have conversations. I mean, Chris, that's how you and I met, basically. And so, I like to be I like to be boots on the ground at conferences. I'm the type of person, I kid you not, that I will see some random person sitting at a conference and I'll sit next to them and just strike up a conversation just to get to know them. And the reason is because as a developer evangelist, I had to have those skills. I had to go out and put myself out to be able to speak to the community, give presentations. Public speaking is hard and it's not easy for a lot of folks to do it. I would urge anybody who wants to build a greater network to learn how to put yourself out a little bit doesn't mean you have to be a speaker doesn't mean you have to do conference talks. But if you're going to, if you if you want to build this network, you have to be active on on social media, you have to bring value to the conversation, you have to make yourself human. And especially in these days of COVID, where everything's virtual, it's really important to go out there and, and try to have some semblance of human conversation, and human interaction. So uh, I would say networking was is one of my fortes, is one of my big strengths. I like to call it my uh, superpower. And nice. uh, if you talk to anybody, they always uh, they say that I'm I'm a bit of a ham. I like to, and I do. I love being on camera. I get, I get on <laughs> own, you know. Um much to the chagrin of my 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 kids because then they're like, oh God, Dad's dancing on camera again, you know. <laughs> but. I would say try to put yourself out there. Try to have those conversations with others and get to know them. But listen, that's the big thing. I would say listen to other people. It's not about what you are doing. It's about what they're doing. And then figure out where you can fit within their life because then they feel like you respect what they bring to the
0: table and that you're helping them be better people. Well, now you're in a more formalized security role. You're looking Mm -hmm. to keep up. Um, everyone's talking about DevOps, DevSecOps, although the developers hate the sec part in there um, Mm. and the security people want it in there. So how do you work to uh, build in security from design, shift it left and keep up with all the tools that are coming out to help with that and um, help everyone be safer, for the long yeah. run and and not just using a specific tool.
1: No, that's great. And I think part of that is to first, I think you need to get security to be front and center. You know, that one of the challenges that every security practitioner says is that they never get enough investment in security. And the only time they get investment in security is when something bad happens. And so uh, I think it's important to uh, have developers understand that security needs to be part of their DNA as well. It's not just, Let's build code and then put it out there and hope for the best. It's It has to just be part of your day-to-day workflow. And and it's hard because developers aren't trained to be security uh, professionals. You look even in colleges, you can find any bootcamp, you can find whatever. Educational institutions don't teach security. And then what happens is these folks come into the workforce and then they're told, all right, go build something, but they're also not given security training in their jobs. And the only time that happens is when something bad occurs. Then all of a sudden, oh yes, we need to have the security training, let's make sure everybody has security training. But think about how many times you've gone to security course, okay? And come back and then work happens and then you forget completely about what you just learned. That, I, that happened to me with SCC 660, the SANS course. Advanced Penetration Exploitation and Penetration Testing. And I remember sitting there and I was all excited and we were talking about um, different advanced techniques and at that moment I was applying them and it was cool and then I got back and then I haven't touched it and so it goes out the door and the same happens with developers they might get some training and then they forget about it it just needs to be part of the normal day-to-day DNA and it has to be incorporated into the way you're designing uh, projects from the beginning uh, you'll, you might hear the term shift less a lot and that just means let's start thinking about security from the very beginning of things not just as an afterthought during the QA cycle, you have to think about what are the common patterns that can cause security issues. What are the best practices that we've learned over the course of the years, and document them so that any new developer that comes into the team can understand it. You need to think about how ingesting third-party code affects the security posture of your team. You know, we like even today I was reading there was a uh, uh, there was an MP there was npm dependency uh, flaws that got fixed security vulnerabilities. And so those happen across the board. This is, and it is not singling out npm or Node. I mean, PyPy had it, RubyGems had it, uh, PHP had it. All these different programming languages are, are susceptible at some point to somebody doing something to it. It's just a fact of the matter. Uh, dependency confusion was a great example of that. So I think w- what has to happen is that there, it has to be a combination of education, and not saying developers now need to be security professionals, but developers need some level of training to be security aware. And then complementing that process with tools that help developers identify these these issues. And when they see these issues, I would hope developers would see it as QA bugs. Because ultimately, when a, when a piece of software has a vulnerability, that's a bug. That's what it is. I, I, we have to make this in the most simplistic terms. sometimes. We think security vulnerabilities are these magical things and we have these master hackers sitting out there and every, and every company thinks it's a nation state attacking them. No, I, I can tell you, it's not a nation state every single time. And a lot of times it's just very simple vulnerabilities uh, that most people overlook. I mean, the fact that the OWASP top 10 just um, my, my buddy Ty just, he tweeted out a link to the latest 2021 edition and SQL injection is still there. So if OWASP is talking about SQL injection in 2021, and that, that tells you that these are bugs. These are bugs that we need to work on and fix, and developers should see that as part of their normal QA cycle. And so if you have tools and processes in place that integrate into your CI and CD pipeline, It makes that process easier because ultimately we're human. Developers are going to make mistakes. Bottom line. How about doing things that make their lives a little bit easier so that those mistakes are caught before they get pushed into production? And there's, there's a whole suite of tools that can do that. And, um, I promise I won't, I I promise I wouldn't turn this into a, uh, uh some kind of marketing campaign. So I'm not gonna do it, but I'm just gonna say there's a whole suite of tools that can do that for you. Okay. And yep. help
0: help the development pipeline solve problems. Yeah I, I led you down that rabbit hole because I really wanted you to 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 enlighten that because I mean for me I'm I say I look at the, the people in process and understand the technology. And I think you understand the technology and then you're helping to relate to the people in process. So you take it from a different approach and um like i sell security to the business and you sell security to the developers or i enable the business and you enable the developers we we need everyone in this community um so as we approach the 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 bottom of the hour what one piece of sage advice would you give to someone looking to follow in your footsteps Uh, i i would say network build a, a really strong network
1: the A lot of people think that security is just a matter of learning stuff and you're in i i i think that you can certainly do that i think there are there are certainly opportunities nowadays to find jobs but the bigger network you have the greater those opportunities are for you Uh, and i would say that with any field in in terms of learning security what you know what you can do is take it upon yourself to find the, the area that really excites you and then just drive on that you're you're not going to be uh, the person who knows it all. What you you know, most people probably saw Mr. Robot, and you know, Mr. Of course, Elliot could do anything. The likelihood of you being Elliot and being that savant that's going to know how to do everything in in cybersecurity is really small because it's such a vast field. Find something that makes you really excited, and then become really good at that. And then from there, build a network and and network hopefully of like like minded people and leverage that network
0: to build visibility so you can find that good opportunity. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Uh, For those of you on LinkedIn, don't forget to follow myself, follow Ray. Um, For those of you on YouTube, hit subscribe, hit that notification button, and if you're listening to us on podcast, share it with all your favorite developers, because we need them to learn about security too. Um, we need to help promote this to everyone. We need that diversity of thought, background, experience. We, we need it from everyone. Ray, again, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it, and a good Friday to everyone.
1: Thank you for having me, Chris. This is awesome.